0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we this morning? Good? Good. It's good to be with you all. Good to be gathered with you guys. Um, We are continuing in our gospel according to Mark this morning. So if you want to open your Bible up to Mark chapter 10, as we're gonna find our reading today starting in verse 35. Um, and as you turn there, just wanna uh, throw out back out to last week. I thought Taylor just did an amazing job unpacking what childlike faith looks like. And so if you missed that sermon, I would invite you to go back and look to it. Grateful for you, man. I thought you just preached preached it down right last weekend. So that was awesome, awesome. Um, and praise God for childcare, am I right? Somebody, anybody, any parents in the room? Just wanna say amen real quick. Okay. There's three of you that are with me. Are we good this morning? Yes. It's warm in the building. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'll give a little uh, AC update. Um, for those of you who have been around, uh, some of you, all, you even gave money to this, right? And you're like, where is that air conditioner? I thought it was coming, and it's not here. And we, we, we paid for the thing back in February, all right? So just keep that in mind. And it was supposed to be here in June, and then it was supposed to be here in July. And now it's August, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know if you know this or not, but there is no AC in this room at this point. <laughs> People keep asking, is the air conditioner on? And I'm like... There's no ductwork for the air conditioner to even be coming out of at this point, you know? And so uh, it is hopeful that that will be being installed this week. We don't have a firm delivery date for our unit yet. That is the main holdup in the project. Um, but it is, it is ordered. It is coming. And like the rest of the world at this point, supply chains continue to be a little bit of a issue. Amen? So we will be patient and we will rejoice in this heat, won't we? Won't we, church? Yes, we will. Amen. Okay. All right. All um, right. Mark chapter 10. Um, It's not really that our series is going to pivot at this point. I mean, we have been following the life of Jesus uh, for the last several weeks throughout this series. Uh, But what is going to take a a shift now uh, for these last uh, five, six weeks of the series is we are going to now follow Jesus as he has his face set like flint, is how Luke records it. He has his face set like flint towards Jerusalem, Jerusalem and towards the cross. And so we're going to look at how Jesus um, has this intentional movement of of just steady, steady ministry towards and through the cross that he is heading to. Um, it takes a lot of bravery in in a single moment to kind of muster up like, Uh, If I'm going to take a bullet for somebody, I can only imagine that that would take a lot of courage in just a second. And and maybe not so much courage, but just like, uh, like just out of the moment, out of the blue thinking to just dive and lunge in front of somebody or maybe push somebody out in front of a car, right? A moving car. Uh, But what Jesus does is so different. It's so remarkably different that he has, he has this steady journey where his whole life he knows has been heading to this moment in Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. He's going to be just barbarically put to death uh, by the leaders of that day. And it doesn't stop him from moving. And so as we look, we're going to see uh, five different words. Uh, I know it was from the Lord because they all started with the word "r." And so we're going to look at Jesus' ransom, the ransom payment that he paid on the cross for us this morning. And so that is what brings us up to Mark chapter 10. Um, If you have your Bible, you can open it to verse 35, like I said, or it'll be on the screen. Um, But also, just to kind of even set the tone a little more, um, coming out of the teaching on the rich young man that Taylor did last week and and the childlike faith, Jesus then, there's this little section, if you can see it in your Bible, it says, Jesus then foretells his death for a third time. So if you remember, the, 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 the disciples are kind of having their, a hard time wrapping their mind around what it meant that this Messiah and this Savior is also going to be the one who suffers and is crucified. So Jesus has been telling them that. He has not been secretive about that with them. He has been open. And he's, been, he's been letting them know what's going to be coming, and yet they have a hard time getting there. And so much to say in verse 33, he says, we are going to Jerusalem And the son of man, me, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And so this is the most visceral description of his death that we get yet, that it's not just that he's going to be killed, but he's going to be mocked, that the creation that he made is going to belittle him, is going to press his, uh, the, the metal that he made through his hands, the tree that he made, he's going to be hung to, and he's going to be killed in a tortuous way. And this is how the disciples respond in verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask for you. Man, if you've got a bold prayer this morning, that is a bold prayer, is it not? It's a dumb prayer. It's a moronic prayer. And we've all been there, haven't we? Oh, come on. None of y'all are gonna act like you didn't pray for the mega millions, $1.2 billion. And you're like, Lord, I would do so much good with this. Would you just give this to me and then I will do something for you, even though the government's gonna take like 800 million of it or whatever, but that's neither here nor there. Teacher, will you do for us whatever we ask for you? Mind you, Jesus was just talking about his crucifixion. He was just talking about how he's going to be put to death. He was just talking about how he's going to be tortured, flogged, beaten, mocked, spit on. They're like, hey, by the way, Jesus, about that. I have a favor to ask of you. It's bold. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able, again, very bold, very bold. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them, called them to him and said to them, this is where we hit the meat of the teaching. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authorities over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Jesus, I pray right now that by the power of your spirit, God, would you help us to see uh, where, where our own shortcomings are, maybe where we have uh, aligned with the heart of James and John, where we've come to you with a lot of requests and we've come to you with a lot of petitions and a lot of our own self-interest, God, but would you help us see your heart and your intent clearly this morning, Jesus? We need you and we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, to set the story up just a little bit better, James and John, uh, they are the sons of Zebedee, which all we really need to know at this moment is they're they're like a couple of trust fund kids. So Zebedee is kind of this well-to-do fisherman, this established business, and and the word that you can hear here is entitled. They're a little bit entitled. They're probably a little bit privileged if we want to use that word, although that's a little bit of a trigger word these days, but they were absolutely privileged. I mean, these guys were kind of looking for their inheritance, looking for the thing that was gonna be coming their way. They were expecting certain things to come their way. Not only that, but they were inside on the inner circle of Jesus. It is frequent that it's, it's Peter, James, and John are kind of being called as these inner three. And so James and John, brothers, they kind of take it upon themselves to go, hey, Jesus, we're clearly in your inner circle. And so they come up to him, they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Like they don't even have this specific prayer request at this point. That's just a carte blanche request. Just hey, whatever I'm gonna ask, will you do it for me? Will you do it for me? And let me just share with you, there arrogance is going to be the key for us seeing what humility is really about in the kingdom of God. And so we stand to learn a lot from their arrogant, self-obsessed perspective because it can be us and it is us a lot of times. I would say that this mentality is alive and well today. God, would you just do for me whatever I'm wanting you to do in this moment? We all at different times will get lost into, pulled into this thought of thinking that we are a better God than God is, don't we? Am I alone in this? We have these kinds of prayers that we are led to a certain conclusion where we already know the outcomes that should be most desired. We already have this grand scope in mind thinking that we can think like God can. But what Jesus does in this moment, rather than just flatten them in their arrogance, he entertains their thought. He entertains their question, probably because again, he's a ninja and he sees the opportunity to teach us something about humility, to teach them something about humility. So he says, well, then what what do you want me to do for you? "'What do you want me to do for you?' "'And they said to him, "'Grant us to sit, one at your right hand "'and one at your left in your glory.' "'Jesus said to them, "'You don't know what you're asking. "'Are you able to drink the cup that I drink "'or be baptized with the baptism "'with which I am baptized?' Now, a lot that we could go into on context of what he's talking about with this cup and with this baptism, but for just simplicity's sake, we're gonna look at Psalm 75, a couple Old Testament passages, because this statement about drinking the cup that I'm gonna drink or being baptized with the baptism that I'm gonna be baptized in is a reference both backwards and forwards for Jesus. It says in Psalm 75, verse eight, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drink it down, shall drain it down to the dregs. The the cup in the Old Testament specifically is going to be always referred to as the cup of God's judgment, or the cup of suffering poured out to the unrighteous, or poured out onto Israel in their faithlessness. And so this cup is this metaphorical picture. It's not like he's actually saying like, Hey, do you want to drink some of this? He's saying, can you handle what I'm about to handle? Can you take in the suffering that I'm about to take in? In Isaiah 51, 17, we see this. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up. O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk it to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Again, it is this picture of this outpouring or this deluge of God's judgment and wrath towards the unrighteousness of the world, towards the sin that has created this separation between God and man. Flash forward, a lot of you are probably thinking of this as Jesus is about to go to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane. We see this in Mark 14. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. If it be your will is what it says in Matthew. Remove this cup from me. What cup? It's the cup of God's judgment and his wrath towards sin. Jesus, even though he himself knew no sin, when he goes to the cross, becomes sin. And in that, what he's doing is he is taking on the judgment of God towards all sins for all who would later put their faith in him. Praise God. Amen. He says, remove this cup, yet not what I will, but what you will, Lord. So when he's saying about this cup to drink from, Jesus is setting up this this picture, this table for us, as it were, that what Jesus is going to be doing in living the perfect right life is he's going to be taking the sins of the world upon himself. God himself made man so that he might take the judgment that you and I deserve for our sins, because we like to we like to not think of ourselves as sinful, but I don't I don't think we have to go any farther than the Ten Commandments to see our sin uh, revealed in crazy ways, right? Uh, so should we do this? Should we play this game? Anyone ever just like uh, thought that you would be better off with somebody else's stuff? Like I, I, I'm probably more righteous than them. I could probably steward that a little bit better than them. And, and or, or you kind of get happy when somebody else fails. Yes, anybody. That's called coveting. And that is an accusation against the God of the universe that you are more good than him. that You are more wise than him. Anybody just told a little white lie before? A, a small one. Oh, so, there are three hands that are up, and then there's like 150 hands that are lying right now. <laughs> so, here's what we do, though. He's like, Yeah, I've lied a couple times, but, but don't make me out to be some liar. It's not like I'm a sinner. But that, this is, this, is, this is again making accusations against God that his word is not what is best, that is not right. And so, you convince yourself that you can retell your truth in a moment that contradicts the truth. Therefore, it is not true and it is a lie. Amen? I could go on and on and on. My guess is you score on the top 10 rules a zero. Anybody ever gave their love and affection to something else other than God? Uh, Seen something else as a higher priority, given something else, more of their time, more of their commitment, more of their energy than God? Okay, idolater, like that's just what it is. This is what the 10 commandments, the, the 10 commandments and the law itself does not reveal how awesome you are. It reveals how awful you are it reveals that we're actually much worse than we like to give ourselves credit for on any given day. Because on any given day, what we like to do is we like to play the comparison game. Well, I'm just not as bad as this person. And I'll tell you, none of that's gonna matter standing in front of Jesus, standing in front of the throne. You're not gonna go, well, I mean, like, did you see Dave, like how he was living? I'm way better than Dave. Let me in here, you know? It's not gonna be what you make your appeal to in that moment. That's the cup, but to emphasize then the baptism, Jesus himself says, Luke 12 and Luke twelve fifty. 50, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus knew full well where he was heading. He knew full well what it was gonna feel like, what it was gonna cost, and what it was going to be like to be under the punishment of God for the sins of the world. He says this, this deluge or this outpouring, I am going to be immersed into it. And I'm going to take that upon myself. And it's of great distress for me until I get there. And the reason that all of that exists is because uh, our sin does bear a great cost. Romans 6, 23, you're familiar with this verse probably. The wages of sin are death. The wages of sin are death. So the cost that has to be reconciled at some point for our sin is blood, is death, is the grave. That is the price that which must be overcome for us to be bought out of that situation. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Colossians 2, 13, it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul elaborates even more. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Jesus setting the table here for the disciples when they're like, give us anything you want. Give us anything we want, Lord. He's like, okay, what do you want? They're like, we want little thrones of our own to reign and rule right next to you. And Jesus is like, but can you handle what I'm about to endure? I'm about to, I'm about to endure the pain and the suffering and the judgment that is bestowed upon all humanity. Can you take that? And they're like, sure we can. Jesus is like, okay, listen, you are going to taste it. Do you notice that? He says, you are going to experience it. You're going to taste it. It's interesting to know that James is the first apostle murdered, martyred. He has his head beheaded, beheaded by Herod Antipas. He is killed swiftly and in a moment and John is killed in a much lengthier, slower process being exiled to an island called Patmos where he dies a slow, long death. So both of these two experience the suffering, but they experience it in a physical way where Jesus experiences it much more spiritually, where he experiences the judgment of all the sin due the world. They said to him, we're able. Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. You will taste it. You will experience it. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. Jesus continually is showing us his perfect lockstep in the will of the father. Going, hey, uh, this, is, this is not a one man show. This is the Trinity at work here in the, in the world. And it's not for mine to grant who is gonna sit in those seats because they've already been prepared. And the 10, when they heard it, verse 41, I love this. And the, when the 10 heard it, they became indignant. They became indignant. Not because Jesus was just te- teaching about his crucifixion, talking about all the pain he's going to go through. And they were like, hey, we want some of your stuff, Lord. No, they were indignant, indignant because James and John beat them to the question. They were indignant with James and John. They were frustrated that they were like, man, that's a good question to have some of his stuff. Why don't we ask it first? And this is when then Jesus calls them together, as he so often does. And you can take so much rest and peace in this fact. That even, this is quite possibly the most arrogant like just presumptuous prayer captured in scripture, right? And Jesus does not move away from them. He moves towards them. He gathers them together. He sits them down and he teaches them. And that should encourage our souls, shouldn't it, church? Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I think there's two profound realities in this main teaching here. And the first is, is very easy to see, and it's probably where a lot of our brains go to right away that if we're going to follow Jesus, what that means is we are going to serve others. Because what happens in the cross of Jesus Christ is that he takes the punishment for our sin. And he, if, you, if you come to him in faith and surrender your life to him, then what he does is he transfers that righteousness that was upon him and he gives it to you. He pays the price for your sin. And now you are not just credited as like forgiven, but you are now like, you now inherit this spiritual inheritance that is the Holy Spirit that's gonna push you far past the breaking point of just zero in your banking account. It's not just that you went from negative a billion because of your sin up to zero. It's that Jesus has given you so much more in his life and resurrection that you, we will fail to live into it fully all the days of our life as Christians, but we will keep pressing and keep trying. Let me maybe explain it like this, this idea of ransom. Uh, last night, we went to the fair. Um, anyone, fair goer in here? Anyone like to go see the fair, see the animals at the fair? Shout out Copeland's, uh, Eden, Morgan. I think they're gonna watch this. They're out there right now showing some goats at the fair. They were beautiful goats. We went and saw them last night. And uh, Haven, Haven, our youngest, she's four. She, she loves and adores animals. Like at this point, we got our puppy a few months back. We're still regretting and loving that decision all at the same time. Like, I feel like I'm the classic dog dad where I'm like, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, give you away, come here, cuddle with me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just all this back and forth. Any other dads of dogs? Like, that's such a weird way of saying that. I'm just like, you are the best and the worst thing I have ever done. Not really, not even the best, but you know what I mean? Haven just loves this dog though. She, she like, she, his name's Archie. He's a sheep-a-doodle. I'm embarrassed to even say it. Yeah, it's, it's adorable. An old English sheepdog mixed with a poodle, you know, and he's just this curly fluffy mess, right? And, and what's really great about him though, is like he'll let Haven just do whatever. So she'll get down and like grab both of his ears and pull his face into her face. And she's just like, ah, oh, you know, and she just, she loves this dog. Well, going out to the fair, uh, it's clear that she just, she loves animals more than anybody else in our family. Like she's got pigs and she's getting right up in the face of these pigs. And I'm like, don't get that close to that animal. Like that thing, I think could eat you. I think, you know what I mean? <laughs> like sheep bite, I'm sure of it, you know? But she's just getting right down in there. And, like, and it's clear to me that she like, she would love to bring one of these animals home. And clear, clear as day. But you know what I see on the back sign of every animal's pen, almost every animal's? market. What does that mean? I see when Haven sees these animals, she sees potential pets. When I see the cows in particular, I see potential brisket. (laughs) That's just the way it is. Like it. Thank you. Wasn't ready for that. (laughs) Praise God for beef though, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. Um, See, but I know that that cow, even though it's being showed right now, it's, it's heading one place it's not heading to be someone's pet more than likely. Some some probably will. Some These goats of the Copelands, they'll probably be their pets for forever, right? I don't think they're gonna get much for those goats in the way of meat, right? But these cows that say market, Haven's like, can we bring it home as a pet? I'm like, no, it's going somewhere else. See, here's, I'm telling you all this to say, if I were to try to intervene and to pay a price for that cow to come to my house, I'd have to pay a ransom. I'd have to pay a price. So because that cow has it has a place that it's going. It is marked for slaughter. It is marked for death. It is going that direction until somebody might come along and pay the right price. And this idea of ransom that Jesus is using here, it's not a foreign concept to the disciples. It would have been a common Jewish custom to have this idea of ransom in your head where it was uh, to buy back land to own land free and clear, to pay away and be done with a mortgage on a piece of land, to buy somebody out of slavery. You could ransom somebody out of slavery. You could, you could ransom all these different people out of these different situations. Um, and, and what that meant was you were taking the debt that was owed to that person. You were in, in a dramatic and swift way paying that debt to pull them out of that circumstance. When Jesus goes to the cross, what he's is doing is he is ransoming each of us who put our faith in him from from the death that we are due from sin. And when Jesus pays for your sin, he pays for it all. And this is what is so hard for some of us in the room to live into, is that Jesus paid all the cost for your sin. He left none of it unpaid. You know, like I thought, I wish I could find like a big stamp thing that just said paid, paid. You can just picture it like banging onto a bill. I actually think that I like paying bills. I don't, I don't like when they come to my house, I don't like owing somebody money, but isn't there some satisfaction when you actually write that check for the bill and it's like, you know, I, I pay online, so I get this little check mark, this, you know, and it's like paid, done, it's taken care of. Like nobody, nobody can make accusations to me against that debt. And yet we entertain accusations towards us all the time from the enemy that our debt's not fully paid. Jesus paid the price in full and his resurrection is the receipt for you to trust that it is dealt with forever. This, this, is, this is the gospel of Mark that we're driving into here where we're gonna look at all these different beautiful angles of the gospel that right now what I need you to hear is that you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, there is nothing that you owe spiritually. There's nothing, not one Iota is held against you. Here's how I know that we have a hard time reading into that truth is because when we read this passage, we read the implication that because Jesus came and gave his life, we ought to go and serve others. Is that not what most of you all thought when you first read this passage? Like, oh, okay, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, so I should give my life and go serve other people. Jesus is not interested in your morality as much as he's interested in your heart falling after him. See, because what you missed, if you read right to the things that you need to do in this passage is you read right over the promise that Jesus came to serve you. Jesus came to serve you. It says right there, Mark 10, verse 45. It says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Who did he come to serve? Everyone who puts their faith in him. So that if you're coming in here lonely, He's here to meet you with his community. If you came in here wandering and hopeless and and kind of just drifting about through life, he came to be your good shepherd this morning. If If you are stuck and trapped in some sin, he came to be your liberator. He's here to help you. Like every instance that you are caught in in your life is an opportunity for Jesus to come and to serve you. And if you keep reading the Bible full of these things that say, oh man, I'm just failing and meeting all these different things that I'm not doing, and you're pulling out away from him, then you have a misunderstanding of the gospel. Every single time you are revealed to yourself, your own sin, that revelation is meant to pull you into the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it's really hard to make a big deal about yourself when you're looking at Jesus's cross. And you're saying, no, he finished it. He fulfilled everything that he came to do. He paid the entire debt of my sin on that cross. And so what's left for me to do than just Yield to him, to just surrender to him. I, I want you to hear, if you've heard nothing else this morning, I want you to hear that your revelation of the gospel, your understanding of this good news is revealed to your own heart in the direction that you run when you sin. So just remember this. Next time you do that thing that you swore you'd never do again. Next time you run back to that hidden thing that nobody else knows about. The next time that you feel a certain way, that you feel abandoned, that you feel like nobody else loves you, everyone else has forsaken you, you remember in those moments, the the, the direction that you choose to move when that is revealed to you is telling to your own soul how much you understand the gospel. Because what the gospel invites you is to every time that you are understanding your own sin, it's a new way to worship and praise God. Just like Caden's quote at the beginning you know, worship that costs nothing is worth nothing. Leonard Ravenhill, Caden Bush, I like guess how it goes, you know? That every time you turn and go somewhere else, it reveals that you think your righteousness is better than that of Christ. See, because every time you sin, you kind of make this promise or you make this, this, this deal about what you're going to do to make amends with the Lord before you come back to be with him. Tell me this isn't true where you start to cast accusations out at other people, like, well, they, well, they, well, they, all this other things. No, when you mess up, when you fall short, the payment of that sin is death, and that death has been paid by Christ. There's nothing else that you can boast about. It's all him. It's all paid for. And so many of us want to come to this passage and, and reading it. People want to make so many leadership principles out of this passage and say, oh, well, the greatest leaders are going to be those who serve people. If 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 serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And, and I don't think that's true. Those are decent principles to glean here, but don't miss the glaring, obvious truth that Jesus came to serve you in your weakness. And if you just, if you keep thinking to yourself that you can clean yourself up and then come to Jesus, it just reveals that you actually have the arrogant heart of James and John to think that your righteousness is something that you can stand on at the end of time. And I'll be the first one to admit, I ain't got righteousness like that. I'm wholly, utterly dependent on the righteousness of Christ when I stand on that day. I'm not gonna be thrown out like, oh, well, God, did you see my church attendance record? Did you see how much I was there that summer, 2022, when it was hot like every single day? And I kept going to church. I still met with my small group that summer. I I kept doing different things. I kept reading my Bible. I kept spending time with you. But how many of you, it's so true. You know, this is true. When you go through a season where you start sinning, where you start giving yourself over to something, when you start drifting from God, you quit reading your Bible so much. You quit spending time in prayer. You lean out of God's people rather than open up and lean in. It's because you are, you are misappropriating what the gospel means for you. What the gospel means for you is that Jesus came to serve you in your weakness and that as we read the commandments where we all fall overwhelmingly short of his standard, Jesus says, I did that. Yeah. You lied, but I'd never lied. Yeah. You, you coveted. I never coveted. I did exactly what the father wanted me to do. Yeah. You, yeah. Um, no, you didn't commit adultery, but you have lust in your heart. I never did. Yeah. You, you stole from this person, to that person. Yeah. You lied. From, you, you didn't honor your mom. I, I did all those things. I did it perfectly. And that, Righteousness is what's on you. It's this idea called justification, that you were made right because of Christ. You were put into right standing because of what he did. Your bill has been paid. Your bill has been paid in full. There's nothing that is left undone. And I just, I couldn't help but feel this just unrelenting press from the spirit of God this week as I read this message that there are so many in this room and you're Christians and you're saved and you're going to heaven and you're exhausted because you keep trying to earn it. You're exhausted. It's this spirit of religion that's inside of you to try and puff yourself up. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's arrogance in your own heart. I don't, I don't know what it is. You're trying to look a certain way for this person or that person. You're trying to present yourself as this guy who has it all together or you're trying to, trying to show up as this mom who just looks like your highlight reel on Instagram, but really you just know that everything's falling apart at home. And Jesus is just saying, let me serve you. Let me meet you in that need. Let me, be, let me be the lion and the lamb for you. Let me be your provider. Let me be your shelter under, it, you know, like he's just calling you in. He's asking you to just let it go. Quit it. Quit acting like you're better than you are. He knows, do you know this? Every sin you've ever committed was a future sin when Christ went to the cross. None of, none of us had committed any sin yet when Jesus went to the cross. And so what is that, what evidence does that show us? That shows us that he loved us so much that before we ever did anything for him, before we ever tithed, before we ever showed up at church, before we ever started treating our wife the right way, he loved us and he gave his life up for us. And even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he went to the cross to make us alive together with him. And so this morning, before we just jump through this passage, like I bet even as, as I was reading it, some of you were already doing that thing where you're kind of like filling in the gaps in Sunday school from back when you were a kid. You're going, oh, I bet he's going to talk about serving others and he's talking about loving other people. Uh, those are all implications of this for sure. But don't be so arrogant that you think it's up to you to earn Christ's love for you, to earn the love of the father. Jesus paid the ransom for your sin, all of it. And there's nothing that you could have earned on your own behalf. And so let's just spend a couple minutes praying here before we let us out and get back to our day. And let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come and to do his work. And so even if you would just be comfortable to just kind of open up your hands in front of you this morning, because it is in our weakness that we see his strength prevail in our life. So God, right now we come before you humble, knowing that we need you, knowing that we can't earn your love. We don't deserve your love. We didn't do anything that should be drawing attention to our work in this moment. There's nothing, there's nothing that saves us but the cross that you endured, the death that you went to that we deserved, God. And so Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray that you would nudge us in little ways. Where are ways that we are trusting in our own righteousness rather than yours? Where where are ways that we're maybe trusting in our, own ambitions, our own desires, our money, our talents, our relationships, rather than just being in full surrender to you, God. God, I pray that you would meet some people this morning as their helper. We're so unwilling to ask for help in so many different ways. But right now, I pray that even the the toughest of guys in this room would just bow a knee and say, I need you, Lord. I don't know how to do this with my family. I don't know how to do this with my wife. I don't know how to do this for you. And God, would you swoop in right now and meet somebody as their helper this morning? I pray, God, I have to imagine in a room like this. There's maybe a couple of people that just don't even know you, that think church is about wearing the right clothes and, and showing up, saying the right things, having the right, uh, having the right responses to different phrases. And would you show that person that's in here today that there is nothing in this room that makes anybody impressive except for what you have done, Jesus. And even right now, if somebody is just so exhausted trying to keep up in life, trying to earn things spiritually, trying to, trying to get into your good graces, will you just show them that the way into your kingdom is upside down? It is through death that we will find our life. Will we yield to you, surrender to you, I just want to make a space right now for anyone who just wants to give their heart to you. Say, God, I'm done. I'm done doing this on my own. I need you. Spirit, I pray that as we go from here, would you press us in a loving way? Would you show us different ways that we can serve other people around us? But would we only serve other people as we are being served by you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.